0: This morning is from 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses one to 12, one to 10, sorry. Paul's visions and revelations. I am obliged to boast, it does no good, but I shall go on to tell of visions and revelations granted by the Lord. I know a Christian man who 14 years ago whether in the body or out of it, I do not know, God knows, was caught up as far as the third heaven. And I know that this same man, whether in the body or out of it, I do not know, but God knows, was caught up into paradise and heard words so secret that human lips may not repeat them. About such a man as that, I am ready to boast, but I will not boast on my own account except of my weaknesses. If I should choose to boast, it would not be the boast of a fool, for I should be speaking the truth. But I refrain because I should not like anyone to form an estimate of me which goes beyond the evidence of his own eyes and ears. And so, to keep me from being unduly elated by the magnificence of such revelations, I was given a sharp physical pain which came as Satan's message to bruise me. This was to save me from being unduly elated. Three times I begged the Lord to rid me of it, but his answer was, My grace is all you need. Power comes to its full strength in weakness. I shall therefore prefer to find my joy and pride in the very things that are my weakness and then the power of Christ will come and rest upon me. Hence, I am well content, for Christ's sake, with weakness, contempt, persecution, hardship, and frustration. For when I am weak, then I am strong. The word of the Lord.
1: Let us pray. Almighty God, be with us. Join with us. Speak to us. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight. You who are our rock, our strength, and our redeemer. Amen. Have you ever been on the receiving end of unexpected kindness? I remember we had been here in Sydney Mines for a couple of years, and we had taken a drive around the trail or something like that, and on the way home, we stopped at a local restaurant for a bite to eat. And so when we will go in there, there is another pastor and his wife enjoying a meal. Now up to this point, I had only met the man maybe twice, but we had a short chat while we waited for a meal and, and they enjoyed theirs. And I haven't seen the man since, I'm pretty sure. I don't remember seeing him in the last eight or nine years. But when he got up to leave to pay his bill, he stopped by our table and said, I'm paying for your bill. Essentially, the stranger offered to pay for our dinner. I was quite shocked, really, at his kindness and his generosity. He told me on his way out that he remembers starting out ministry on his own with a young family. And he just wanted to help us out a little bit. Uninspected kindness shows up in all kinds of places. And it not only feels good to receive it, it also feels good when we give it, doesn't it? Knowing you've helped someone, whether it's buying them a meal or just making their day a little bit brighter, it feels good. But what I'm going to focus on today is the receiving end. How it feels to receive. When the pastor paid for our meal, I I felt humbled that he would do such a thing for us. I felt the respect. I felt honored that he would think so much of us to do this. and, And I felt encouraged. Now, there are some days when we just don't feel worthy, right? There's just nothing going your way. The best you can do is just try to stay out of your own way. Nothing's going as planned. The day falls apart. You just want to throw your hands up in the air and say, God, I give up. And let's be honest, you probably had a number of those days during the pandemic, right? I mean, I think I had a couple just last week myself. Where you just just keep repeating to yourself, what is the point? I think we've all been there. And maybe there is no point. Maybe we just keep doing things because that's the way we're used to doing things. Maybe we're just sitting on this spinning ball in this vast universe and there is no point. Or maybe there is. Maybe there is something even greater than we can understand about this universe. And I believe that somehow we have an important part to play. And when I say we, I don't mean humankind. I mean we, as in you, as in me. We all have an important part to play in all of this. And it begins with kind of trying to gain a greater understanding of this gift we've been given. Something we we know about, but we don't fully understand. And may never fully understand while we're on this earth. And that is an, an, an unexpected gift. It is an important gift given to us from God. Which is His grace. And by grace, I want us to understand that there are two types of grace that we experience. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer calls them cheap grace and costly grace. Cheap grace is kind of when we think, well, everyone else is doing it. It is a way of living in the world that is rejecting God's call for us how to live. It is justifying the sin without identifying and dealing with the source of the sin or even the motivation of the sinner. It's living with the kind of attitude, well, God's going to forgive me anyway, so I might as well have fun while I'm doing it. But that's not what grace from God truly is. Cheap grace is is forgiveness without repentance. Cheap grace is discipleship without discipline. Discipline without being corrected. Cheap grace is grace without the cross of Jesus Christ. If grace comes cheap, if grace doesn't cost us anything, then what's the point? What is the kind of grace that Jesus teaches us? What is he expecting from those who follow him? There's a number of times when Jesus goes up to people and he says, follow me. Right? And when we think of those stories, we tend to gravitate towards when he calls the disciples, right? such as in Mark 1, starting at verse 16. Jesus walks beside the Sea of Galilee. He saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of people. At once they left behind their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them. And they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. So for Peter, Andrew, James, and John, they left all that they knew to follow a stranger who simply said, follow me. But what was the cost for them? Well, they left everything behind. Their family, their friends, their livelihoods. And they left it in order to find out about this new life that Jesus gives them. Despite the fact they know nothing about the man. But there's something in those words that Jesus said to them when he said, follow me. There's something inside them that just simply said, go. Now Peter was invited to follow Jesus more than once. And he needed to be reminded of the grace that God offers on a regular basis. Right? So, and it's freely offered. To drop, And we just need to drop everything and follow him. Now the first time we just read it, Peter was fishing, Jesus went up and said, follow me, and he dropped everything and he did. And then after the resurrection, Peter's out fishing again. And Jesus goes to him. And as they're having breakfast on the beach, Jesus turns to Peter and says, follow me. And Peter drops everything and follows him. So if Jesus is calling us to embrace a grace that is not cheap or easy, then what's it look like? Well, when you turn to Matthew 13, starting at verse 44, Jesus puts it like this. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man, man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all that he had and bought the field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. Being in relationship with God, and having God's grace in our lives, being people of faith, is like finding a fine pearl or a treasure. And we fall so in deep, uh, so deeply in love with it that we'll sell everything else we have in order to keep it. It's kind of ridiculous when you think about it. Like what kind of pearl or what kind of treasure do you find in a field that would move you so much that you would sell every possession you have just to have it for your own? But ultimately, it's not about a pearl or or about an earthly treasure we can find. Those are just kind of uh, tangible examples Jesus gives us of something that we might get excited about finding in the world. What we are learning is that there's a treasure far greater than this. A treasure that we cannot even imagine how great it is. And it will cost us. It will cost us earthly treasures in order to have it. It means we forego all else in our lives in order to gain what God has in store for us. It means we stop worrying about ourselves, we stop worrying about how we are viewed by the world, by those around us, maybe even by our family. And we focus on the treasure that God has for us and his grace. It also means we stop making excuses. Luke chapter 9, starting at verse 57, says this, As they were walking along a road, a man said to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus replied, Foxes have dens, the birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Jesus said to another man, Follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, No one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the service in the kingdom of God. Jesus makes an invitation to people to follow him. And they make excuses. The guy's father is not dead yet. Why does, he need, why does the other need to go say goodbye to the family? It's stalling. Excuses. Jesus is calling us into a life of grace in this moment, now. There's no time for excuses. There's no need to wait. When Jesus says, follow me, the hope is that we were prepared and ready to go. When people talk about church today and why they don't go, you hear different... uh, You hear them say different things. Like... I'm not worthy. I'm not good enough. I've done too many bad things. If I go in there, I'll get struck down by lightning. They're all excuses. When we look at the life of the Apostle Paul and we realize what he had done for a good part of his young life, about how he hunted, arrested, and killed Christians, do you think Paul's not worthy? think Paul's done too many bad things in the eyes of God. Yet Paul has an incredible transformation. To the point where he's so moved, he goes to a house where the disciples, the apostles are staying, and they're scared because they have seen and heard what he has done to their fellow brothers and sisters in the church. Yet he goes because Jesus has transformed him from his evil ways and into the service of God. And without Paul, we wouldn't have much of our New Testament. And Paul even writes, he writes in Second Paul, 2 uh, Corinthians 12, he says, In order to keep me from being conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it from me, but he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why for Christ's sake I delight in weaknesses in insults and in hardships and persecutions and difficulties for when I am weak then I am strong. When Paul pleads to God to take that thorn out of his side whatever it is that's inflicting him what does God tell him? My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. And Paul goes on to say, for when I am weak, then I am strong. This is not cheap grace. This is the kind of grace that where Paul's even thinking, what's going on? Why is my life hard? For us it might be, why can't we do what our neighbors do? Why can't I have what they have? It's God's grace, his true grace, because it costs us our earthly treasures so that we can gain a heavenly treasure. We're not called to live as society calls us to live. We're called to live as God would have us live. Cheap grace does not get us there. Cheap grace robs us of a deep, intimate, meaningful relationship with our living God, our Heavenly Father, Because it ignores the sacrifice Jesus makes for us as he invites us to be one with God through him. Costly grace, real grace, means we understand the power of the cross and we seek to follow Jesus. And we recognize that the cross is where Jesus paid it all, where he gave his life so we may live. In Mark chapter 8, Jesus has this conversation with his disciples, starting at verse 31. you do not have in mind the concerns of god but merely human concerns then he called to the crowd and he called the crowd to him along with the disciples and said whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves take up their cross and follow me whoever wants to save their life will lose it but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it what good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul or, what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. Jesus says many times that following him is not the easy way of life. If you want what the world offers, if you want riches and fame and all that's associated with it, go get it. It's yours for the taking but it will cost you your soul. But if you want to follow Jesus, then you need to deny these urges. You need to turn away from these temptations. You need to leave the desires of the world behind and become his disciple, learning learning how to live by God's standards and not the standards of the world. Yes, it does not come cheap. It does not come easy, but the reward is worth it. The reward is eternal life in the presence of our God and his heavenly kingdom for eternity. Now shortly we're going to celebrate communion together. Communion is the celebration in remembrance of the final meal that Jesus instituted with his friends on the night he was betrayed, on the night before his arrest, his trial, and his execution. It is the meal where Jesus takes the bread and says, this is my body broken for you. It's where he takes the cup and says, this is my blood shed for you. It is his body, his bones, his his blood that is broken and shed that he sacrifices for you. Jesus gives his own, his, his whole life for you. Do we respond by taking the easy way or the way of cheap grace? Or do we accept that there is nothing we can truly do to repay what he has done for us and dedicate our lives to learning as much as we possibly can about living in God's grace each and every single day? Without excuses, without hesitation, with full reverence and humbleness for what he has done for us. He paid the ultimate price. He paid our bill in full, because he loves you. The Son of God lay down his life so we may live. How is it we we respond? Let God fill you with his grace today as we respond to the call of Jesus as he extends that invitation to each and every one of us to follow me, follow him. May we have the wisdom and the courage to turn away from the charms of this world and embrace the life that God has for us. May we live in His grace, His love, His mercy, every single day. Amen. Thank you for listening to Be Still and Know, a ministry of Carmen United Church in Sydney Mines. To learn more about our ministry, please visit our website, www.carmenunited.ca. May God bless you this day.